Well, good Sunday, South Valley Community Church. As most of you know, California, pretty much the entire state, is now in what they call the purple tier. So many people have been asking, what does that mean for our Sunday services? Well, the good news is it means we're going to keep doing what we actually already have in place. So all of the online content will continue to be as is. So Sunday morning services, you can come to YouTube and get the services online. We also are going to continue our outdoor gatherings, both in Gilroy and Hollister with our Spanish-speaking Campus Iglesia Centro. So we'll be doing both uh, outdoor gatherings as at the same time as all the online content. And so I do ask for your prayers as uh, it creates a lot of work for us. Pay attention uh, on the website. We have a lot of things coming up in the month of December, a lot of compassion projects to our community. Super important. Uh, so many people in need uh, right now. And so the church really needs to show up in these critical times. So with that, we are in a series called Through Mountains and Valleys, and we're looking at the scriptures and how they teach us how to walk and navigate both the low valleys of our lives and sort of the high mountaintop experiences. And today, we're going to look at one of the most popular stories in the entire Bible. Um, even if you were not raised in church, you weren't raised being a Christian, you've probably heard this story before. It's the story of David and Goliath. Now, the reason why we're going to walk through this is because I believe for the most part, not all the time, but for the most part, when we approach this story, we approach it with the wrong lens and we're looking at it in a way that maybe the original author of, of the book of 1 Samuel, which it's in, um, would not have of us. So I want to hopefully give us a, a new take on this. Not that the old take is wrong, but this is a maybe one in greater resolution. We can see what the author is trying to get at more clearly. So let's dig in. Story of David and Goliath. But first, there's a, a backstory to this that's important for us to understand. At the beginning of the book that the story of David and Goliath is contained in 1 Samuel, we're introduced to Samuel, his birth, and his call as a prophet. And then immediately after that, we get into a battle scene. And it's a battle between Israel and the Philistines. And something incredibly important happens. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 5. And the battle does not go well for Israel. And because of that, the ark of God is taken into the land of the Philistines. Chapter 5 says this, when the, Philistines, when the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. Now, a few introductory notes. First, the Ark of God. What is the Ark of God about? Well, it's about a number of things, but two significant points for our story. The Ark of God represents the fact that Israel's God, the Hebrew word Yahweh in the Old Testament, Israel's God Yahweh is king. He is the king and he's enthroned between the cherubim and the Ark. It's like his throne seat and what's underneath is the footstool. So you have to think in images, and this will be incredibly important for the rest of, of the sermon. Think in images. Yahweh, the God of Israel, is enthroned on the ark between the cherubim and underneath him is his footstool. So it's an image of a king. Second, the ark represents the presence of God. Where the ark goes, so go goes God. And so when the ark is taken out of Israel and brought into the Philistines' territory, and more so into the house of Dagon, this is powerful imagery. It's the image of Israel's God, supposedly, 
being conquered and captured and brought in as a POW to a supposedly more powerful god, Dagon. That's the imagery of the ancient world in this point. Israel defeated, their god captured and brought as a prisoner of war into submission under the Philistine god, Dagon. Now, Dagon, in the images that we have of him in the ancient world, is depicted sort of as a, a scale-like god. So think um, like fish scales surrounding him, but the fish scales are like armor and protection. So he's this, this god that they worship, and the image you should have is like fish-like scales surrounding his body. Now, it goes on. Verse 3. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. Again, images are powerful. You have to see it, picture it. The, the scale-like deity falls face forward before the ark of the Lord. In other words, before Yahweh, the God of Israel. And then it says, so they took Dagon and put him back in his place. So it's like, hey, maybe overnight he just fell. Dagon tripped. Let's put him back in his place. But verse, verse four says this. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both of his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. So this is a spiritual battle. This is not just the Israelite army lost to the Philistine army. There is a cosmic spiritual battle that's laid on top of the physical reality. And it's seen in this battle between the, the Ark of God, which is the presence and enthronement scene of God, and the, the, the false god Dagon. And in the first encounter, the first spiritual battle between the God of Israel and the God of the Philistines, Yahweh defeats Dagon. He falls forward and his head is taken off. Okay, keep this story in your mind because it's sort of the setup for where we're going today. Now let's flash forward to another battle. Battle of David and Goliath. 1 Samuel chapter 17 says this. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Ezekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered in camp in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, and the valley between them. Now there's another image. Two hills, two mountains, and there's an army on each side. And in between these two hills is the valley. And the battle that must take place is in the valley. The armies are on the hills, but they know that they have to go down into the valley and fight the battle. Verse 4 goes on. And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his leg and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron, and a shield bearer went before him. So we're introduced to this giant 
Goliath. Now, what's fascinating is this is one of the longest descriptions of armor or sort of ancient military weaponry that's in the Bible. So whenever the Bible takes its time to go into description of something, especially something that long, there's probably some important details. For us modern people, we just might rush through it like, oh, it's going on about his armor. But there's important details at this point. Now, before we go forward, one of the interesting things is it lists his height, and there's a lot of debate about how tall Goliath is. But suffice to say, he wasn't a giant as in depicted in the children's books that we read. I mean, I remember seeing like David is like a, a normal height of a teenager, and then Goliath appears to be like this 50-foot giant. We're talking about somebody, scholars debate this, but roughly six feet to nine feet. So somewhere between there. Maybe a little less, maybe a little more. That's not the point. The point is that he's a giant of a man by ancient standards. Huge. He's a mighty warrior. Now, one of the other interesting things is in the list of armor, it says he has a coat of mail. The word for mail, coat of mail, is kaskaset. Now, this word in Hebrew doesn't mean mail as in coat of mail, like a, a, chess, a, a chess guard or piece of armor. The word in Hebrew literally means scales, as in the scales of a fish or the scales of a serpent. And in fact, all the other occurrences of this word, it's used to describe the scales of a fish, scale of a snake or a serpent, that type of scale. So again, think in images. You have a giant, a giant warrior, and he has armor. And this armor we know from the ancient standards would have went from shoulders to maybe to his knees or maybe all the way down past his knees. But the, the authors of the Bible want you to see the armor, not just as ordinary armor. They chose a specific word here, scales. So picture Goliath, and he's clothed from shoulders to knees or possibly feet in scales. It's a powerful image. Remember the backstory here. Verse 8. He stood up and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So what's going on here? This is what we call a contest of champions. It wasn't common in the ancient world, but there's other instances of it. It's this idea where two armies know we're going to have to fight each other and the slaughter is going to be immense. Both sides are going to be filled with dead people. And so rather than us slaughtering each other, why don't we pick representatives? It's representative battle. We'll pick our guy. You pick your guy. They fight it out. And whoever wins that battle, then we'll agree to give the, that side the victory. It's representative battle. It's a combat and contest of champions. Goliath is the champion, the best the Philistines have to put forward. Israel is afraid. Now, question, who should Israel send forward to fight Goliath? Who is their strongest guy? Who is their, as noted earlier, their tallest man? If you're familiar with the biblical narrative, the strong, tallest guy is their king. That's why they chose him. It's one of the reasons listed. 
Saul. King Saul should be the representative of Israel on that battlefield. But he, along with Israel, is afraid. Now, there's something interesting going on here, and this may be speculation. I can't prove this, but I think there is something extraordinary going on in the text, and I'll, I'll spell it out for you. You can decide for yourself. Now, Goliath defies Israel and defies the God of Israel. The word for defy here is Ahav, Harav, and it it means to shame or to mock or to taunt. Um, it's kind of like a, a, a way to blaspheme or to slander the other side. But here's the main point. Goliath does this defying, this mocking six times. He does it six times in the narrative. And there's also other interesting notes of six. Goliath is six cubits tall. The head of his spear weighs 600 shekels. And so you have this repetition of the number six repeating itself in the story. Later on in the Bible, there's going to be another monster, another beast, another giant. And this beast also has a number and it's 666. Additionally, David's son Solomon, when he becomes evil and acquires wealth through evil means, the text lists the amount of gold he has as numbering 666. So one of the things you have to understand is that numbers are important in the ancient world. And in the Bible, seven, it's a good number. Two sevens, really good. Three sevens, really, really good. If you're seeing seven, 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 that's usually a way of saying this is something good. It's whole. It's complete. It's right. Six is often depicted as the number of man or the number of humanity's sin. Hence the beast in the book of Revelation's number is 666. Now, I can't be certain, but in this instance, you have these kind of patterns of six repeating itself again and again. And it might be the biblical author way of saying to you, this Goliath, this is sin, this is evil, this is idolatry, this is Dagon's number, this is Dagon's man. Can't be certain of that, but I think there's something like that going on in the text. Okay, so you have this image the giant, Dagon's representative. He's clothed with scales. That's the image. And no one wants to fight him. Everyone else is afraid. And this is where we're introduced in our story to David. Where is David? He's out being a shepherd. So his dad calls him. He's not, David's not even on the battlefield. This isn't his fight. His brothers are on the battlefield. They're older. But David, this isn't his fight. So his dad just calls and says, hey, um, your brothers are out there on the battlefield. Bring them some grain, bring them these bread. And then it's funny, in verse 18, it says, also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their household. It's like, David is a cheese boy. He's just going to bring the bread and the cheese. This isn't his fight. He's too young. He should be at home. But his dad sends him on this mission to deliver some bread and cheese to the battle lines. And the story goes on. And David arrives and it says, he ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard them. He hears the defy. He hears the slander. He hears the taunt. And in verse 26, it says, And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? 
For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So David's talking a big game. He's looking around. He's seen Goliath slander the God of Israel. He's like, who's going to do something about this? Who's, how can you all just let him defy our God? What's wrong with us? And so they bring David to Saul. And David says to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, the giant. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when they came, when they came a lion or a bear and they took the lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lion and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord, Yahweh, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And this is this powerful scene. David is listing times that God has been faithful to him in the past. And he's saying, God can do it again. God has delivered me from other dangerous animals, from other dangerous beasts. And he could deliver me again. Now, at this point, though, Saul, you would expect Saul to be like, come on, man. I'm not going to let you go into battle. But what does Saul say? Huh? Go, go for it, man. The Lord be with you. Verse 38, it goes on. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. Now, important coat of mail is a different Hebrew word than was used for Goliath. For David, it's the typical word used for armor here. But remember, for Goliath, it was the scales. This imagery is important. Verse 39, and David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. This word tested, um, it's kind of tricky, but it means he's not used to them. He's not used to wearing armor and used to wearing clothing for battle. Then David said to Saul, I can't go with these for I have not tested them. I'm not used to them. I can't, I can't use them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in hand and he approached the Philistine. Now, it's powerful. David has stuff in his shepherd's pouch. So what's the image of David? What does he have on? He doesn't have armor. He doesn't have scales. He has the attire and the, the pouch of a shepherd. So remember, there's two armies on two hills, and there's going to be a battle in the valley, but it's going to be representative battle. There is the Philistine champion, Goliath of Gath, huge, tall, mighty warrior, monster of a man, dressed from almost head to toe in scales. And then you have Israel's representative, David, the armorless boy, who comes with the image of a shepherd. Two armies, two representatives, Dagon's representative, Israel, and Yahweh's representative, the shepherd. Both are reflecting the images of the God they represent. Now, uh, from verse 41 to 47 is going to be some of the most epic language in all of the Bible. 
This is, this is a powerful scene. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beast of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with the sword and with the spear and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, Yahweh of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This is, this is epic. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is one God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. See, this is not about a mere physical battle. There is a cosmic spiritual battle and reality that's layered on top of this. People think that this story is about, you know, David physically defeating Goliath. And although that's in the story, that's, that's entirely not his point. He says explicitly what his point is. I don't come to you with a sword. I don't come to you with earthly weaponry. I come to you in the name of the Lord. He's understanding there's more going on than just swords and spears. And David, because of his... Reliance on God's path faithfulness can walk into the future with courage. See, if you have David's understanding of the world, it will fundamentally change the way you look at the world. David goes, God is with me. He is by my side. I'm not alone in this fight. And if I know that God is with me and that there's a spiritual reality at work, I'm going to walk into this differently if it was just a normal battle. And so David walks with faith, faith and confidence to face the giant. Verse 48. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank deep into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. You follow in the imagery here. The shepherd defeats the scale-like deity, the scale-like monster. And remember, this is not the, just the, the first encounter between Yahweh, the God of Israel, and Dagon, the God of the Philistines. This is round two. In the first instance, what occurred? Do you remember? Remember what happened to Dagon's idol? It challenged the God of Israel and it fell forward with his face to the ground. Now, what does the text say about Goliath? The stone goes into his forehead and he falls on his face to the ground. The imagery continues, verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and with the stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. 
When the Philistines saw that the champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Judah rose up with the shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. So if it wasn't clear enough, Goliath falls face forward and then has his head chopped off. The second encounter of Israel's God and the God of the Philistines mirrors the first encounter. It's the defeat of Dagon with his head chopped off falling face forward. This is more than just a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle layered on top of the physical. Now, powerful story, powerful story. But at this point, we get into how does this story apply to our lives today? What is the application? What is the, the point for us? And obviously, it's a, we can talk about faith and trusting in God, and there's a lot of things. But at this point, most of the time, not all of the time, but a, a large portion of the time, I think we begin to apply this story in a way that isn't necessarily faithful to the text of the story. And what do I mean by that? Typically, this, the story of David and Goliath is applied in an I hero manner. And by I hero, I mean like iPhone, you put, you, you know, you put a little I and then slam the word hero in front of it. I'm making one word out of I and hero. It's like I hero. What do I mean by that? I mean that the, the story becomes about how I can face my personal giants. And with the help of God, I can beat like David did, my personal giants. And personal giants can mean anything from like your fears, your doubts, your insecurities, or maybe it can mean something like you're recovering from an injury, or it could be um, getting uh, a promotion at work. Whatever your personal giant is, Goliath then represents that. And who are you in the story? You're David. And with the help of God, you can defeat your personal giants in life. Now, if some of you have understood it that way, if you taught it that way, that's fine. There's certainly a, a way in which that that is true. God can help you defeat some of the issues in your life. I, I'm, not, I'm not doubting that. But I don't think that that's how this story should be read. See, we often like to make the I hero version of biblical application. But when I look at this story... I'm reminded of the details. First, this isn't David's fight. Goliath is not David's personal giant. David is a shepherd boy. He's a young, he's just the cheese boy. He's bringing cheese to the battle. Goliath is not his personal giant. David shows up and is seen his people's enemy mock them and his God, and he can't take it anymore. And he looks around and everyone else is afraid. Everyone else is dismayed, including the king. It isn't his fight shouldn't even be there. So it's not his personal giant. It wasn't his personal problem. It's not his fight. David shows up and he just can't take it anymore. He can't take the fact that people are slandering his God and getting away with it. Now, what's fascinating is that when we read the story we put ourselves in the shoes of David. Remember, all of Israel is afraid. All of Israel is scared. Only one person out of tens of thousands, one person in the entire battlefield, one person in the nation is not afraid. And coincidentally, when we read the story, we like to think we're that guy. We're the one person who's not afraid and unique and special. It's like how very Disney of us. 
We're the awesome, unique, special person in the story. When in reality, I know who I am in this story. I know who I am in this story. It's this part when it says, when Goliath defied the armies of Israel, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. That's who I am in the story. I'm just like everyone else, dismayed and afraid of the giant. And David doesn't point to me or David doesn't point to you. David points to the greater David. David points to Jesus. When the New Testament authors read Old Testament stories, they don't teach you to say, I'm David or I'm Moses or I'm Daniel. They tell you that all these things in the Old Testament were not pointing to you or to me, but they're pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is the greater Daniel. Jesus is the greater Moses. And Jesus is the one who goes into representative battle for us. He goes and fights the beast on our behalf. He goes and fights Satan, sin, and death in a representative manner on our behalf. He is the one who slays the giant. And because of that, we can then do what the armies of Israel, once their representative is crowned champion. It's once David defeats Goliath that then they are emboldened and have courage to go chase down their enemies, the Philistines. But they weren't brave to begin with. They weren't courageous to begin with. They were brave because their champion defeated the giant. And Christians today, that's exactly what we need to know and what we need to embed in our heart. That's the, that's the understanding of reality that we need. I'm not David. I'm not that brave. Maybe you are, but that's, that's not me. But I know I have a greater David. I have a representative a champion who fights on my behalf. And Jesus fights the beast for me and for you. And he does cosmic spiritual battle against Satan, sin, and death. And because of his victory, I now share in his victory. And because of that, I can face this world with courage and bravery like the armies of Israel did subsequent to their victory. See, this fundamentally shapes the way you view the world. Whatever problems I have, whatever personal giants I have, because there are personal giants, but whatever personal giants I may encounter, I face them with boldness and courage because my champion has defeated the true giant. And so in difficult times, we need to remember this. We need to remember that we can have courage. We can act boldly and bravely, not because we're something special, but because of our representative, Jesus, who goes before us. His victory becomes our victory. And so Christian, understand the world through this lens. Understand reality through this lens. Jesus is our champion. His victory is ours. And because of that, whatever issues we may encounter in this life, we can face them boldly and courageously for the battle has been fought and won. Father, we give you thanks for this incredible story. We give you thanks that your scriptures are always pointing to your son, Jesus. And when we're tempted to see ourselves as, as the heroes of the story, may you convict us and remind us of the true hero. And we also thank you that the true hero, Jesus, sent us his spirit to empower us and embolden us to face life.
And so we know we're never alone. And we know that the real battle is not fought with sword or spear, that there's always a spiritual battle at work. So keep these truths in our minds and help us to be faithful to you and to our champion, your son, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.